Hi, Sachin. Hey, Dinkar. Yeah, this, this is our fourth. Uh, yeah, week. actually, yes, I was actually writing uh, uh, my thoughts and then, yeah, it's fourth episode already. Yeah. And I think uh, one difference is that we are a little better planned for this. the first one, second one. I felt because it was culmination of a lot of thinking, there was, uh, it was almost like we wanted to get some topics out of our system kind of thing. Uh, the third one was uh, we were exploring. And I think um, this is like, you know, uh, growing up in the maturity <laughs> scale. And there's a very specific uh, topic we wanted to discuss uh, because it's again something very close to us, but um, uh, something very important also that should be covered. Yeah, and I, I remember Dinkar before. I mean, like we have been talking about doing this for a while now, and we were sure that we didn't want to do a very scripted thing. Yeah, yeah. And we wanted it to be a little spontaneous, like, uh, and I think this. Uh, what we are doing is we are just adding more structure rather than script. So I, yeah. I like this because it allows us to also express our thoughts in a better manner. But yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I really, uh, I think one of the reasons I, uh, uh, other than uh, chatting with you or chatting on a topic, uh, what I look forward for are these digressions. So uh, I think that's <laughs> important yes. to have uh, digressions. Yeah, I think those are almost guaranteed with me. So yeah, staying on topic is very difficult. So, which yeah, uh, which which hasn't hurt us professionally yet. <laughs> yeah, the yet is the qualifying word, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think um, the, the digressions don't happen with everybody whom I work with. Dinkar. Hmm. there is it's it's like. Uh, you you have to basically have that echoing sound coming from the other end too. Mm. Is where I'm like, yes, I can uh, launch a digression, but if somebody else also has a complementing thought process to it, mm. that uh, digression actually flourishes. And most of the time, our digressions have resulted into productive things. Yeah. Example would be is uh, we uh, kept talking about the product ops. Yeah. And it the platform ops it did not go to a place where we wanted to but that also solidified a lot of thinking and that would be obviously we can uh, take uh, in our one of our conversations but i think such kind of digressions or even the uh, health polaris uh, polaris right i mean polaris uh, maybe yes. at some point we'll talk about it it's uh, it's result of a digression <laughs> yes it's the result of a digression yes there were some concrete ideas which uh, I was working on. There were some concrete ideas which you were working on. But when we started fu fusing those ideas together, those were the ones which landed like gold, right? Yeah. yeah. But Dinkar, I have a little bit more structured conversation as a follow-up from last time. Yeah. So, and I'm sure it will result into some digressions, but uh, let's try to stay to the area. So, I, I, as I requested last time, is I would like to talk about what are the journeys of ideas into product, you know, from ideas to production? And we need to be speaking about enterprises because in startups, the journeys are very rapid and sometimes they and are- they, And so much books take, the, for startup journeys, right? There is so much written, so yes. much written. And I think that that is a big gap because it puts enterprises on a very weird uh, scenario where 
it's almost like you know one they, they, they the model they are given uh, I, I was talking to a client uh, Satya was like hey we should do some product management um, I think you know I'm referring to we should do some product manager workshop and the response came I hope it's not let's make a sandwich in an agile manner right because that, that's what every coach comes in and talks about exactly. and uh, the, that whole um, lack of um, contextualization to an enterprise is so missing so missing yeah. and i think <clears throat> in startup world as well it is uh, a little bit uh, every startup is we are different so mm. they also follow different paths they take the standard uh, uh, recommendation but then most of the time they are diverging and their business is extremely volatile so they have to respond way different and most of the time they are playing for survival yeah uh, so uh, it's it's different but yes in enterprise world <clears throat> what this whole innovation thing and everything has posed and uh, the biggest transformation you know the c word which we are facing right now right the whole world is they need to respond quickly yeah they need to be uh, agile from a business perspective and now the agile is not just a cool term to follow or it is not just enough for you to say hey i i follow extreme programming practices or i am uh, following some martin fowler's book that's not enough anymore what we need to do is we need to really show the results in production yeah. are your customers seeing the things which you are talking 15 days ago yes if the ceo is going on a public television and saying certain things how much time it will take for that to trickle down into production based applications yeah. that is what people are interested in now so i just in my experience i have found there are three broad Uh, journeys of idea to production mm-hmm. but i think these three put uh, maximum stress upon the bridge between business and the developers mm-hmm. because the developers are mostly dealing with the after effect of it in the sense oh we are we are completely time crunched and uh, i need to develop this quickly to and deploy it to production but what they do is that they create a pressure of scope negotiation mm. and business is actually putting uh, pressure because either they are saying this is a business urgency either it is a customer urgency or is it a financial urgency and they have these solid reasons to pressure down why all the feature needs to actually go in so these two opposing forces and there is this at the middle layer is the product layer where mm-hmm. you find these business analysts product uh, managers and also at times the engineering leads who are heading a division of that business because they need to ultimately deliver the product and everything but ultimately uh, the product owner's persona feels the maximum pressure which is upstream as well as downstream pressure yeah so the first scenario which i thought is a level zero idea where uh, an executive goes on to uh, uh, saying that i want this feature but that feature is not translated into anywhere in the roadmap or epics or how it actually integrates within the overall system and some of these systems um with one feature uh, which is declared by cxo might affect five systems downstream yeah. so uh, how it it presents a varied level of challenges and the second is basically where uh, 
business trivializes the feature saying this is so curated all we have to do is add certain buttons onto some place it is a extremely curated feature so i mean like i think you hit the word low hanging fruit right yeah. it is that type kind of feature and the third one is that often you and i have both been at the receiving end of it is customer needs uh, and customer pains are blown out of proportion mm-hmm. one tweet actually becomes a feature request and that gets blown out of proportion but these uh, in my mind these uh, are some of the bigger challenges which promas handle yeah. where um, they cannot actually just uh, tiptoe around this they have to take it head on and almost in all scenarios i have found that promas end up being almost confrontationalists hmm. that they have to take their position they have to take their stand and they have to stand their ground saying that hey i would like to not do this or i would like to do only part of this hmm. so i mean that always puzzled me because this seems like a difficult one so how do you see all these things so level 0 i mean um a cxo asks for a feature and how does it end up in a production right we um, the biggest um, stumbling block in that journey is uh, the uh, it um, falling in love with itself hmm. um it converting everything into a work it uh, converting everything into uh, you know something like um, uh, uh, this is how we do it right i'll give you one example what i mean i and i want to spend some time here right uh this is a true story i'm exaggerating some bits a bit for effects of dramatization but this is a true story right um so um um working with a client uh, who has a you know a very old customer base many years right and the customer base is global in nature uh, and has evolved over a period of time Uh, different uh, customers came at different uh, uh, time and uh, the data is being entered by uh, different um, uh, different input methods uh, again which have evolved over a period of time so one of the side effects of this is that um, if you look uh, for example the phone numbers right uh, the phone numbers of customers so if i am in india uh you know for some customers it's plus 91 dash 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 for some customers it is just dash 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 mobile number for some customer it is zero plus something for some customer there is a dot in between for some customer there is a blank and then add the complexity that some of these customers have us number so somewhere it is plus 1 then braces 2 1 2 and so on and so forth like this right it's a big mess so it is affecting some regulations and it is affecting the ability of the business uh, to consistently and coherently reach out to customers so very simple ask uh, can you fix the phone numbers right uh, very business urgent because there is a regulation uh, depend upon uh, it and there is a big uh, marketing push that's going to happen and for that they need all these information correctly so if a customer pings them they are able to call them back you know again something it's very simple look at the phone numbers fix them um it's a very simple ask it's low hanging fruit very high returns right now it comes to it now it looks at it and they realize it's a huge list right and um what does it do they so- use the technology to solve it so they come up with 
uh, one of the options while we'll do an AI analysis and it will detect uh, where plus is needed, where gaps are, where braces are, it will try to guess uh, because at some places the ISD, there was a separate, in some UI, there was a separate code for ISD and separate code for the number, right? So in that scenario, uh, you know, now there are two fields that, so they come up with a solution and uh, they go to two, three vendors, uh, different vendors come up with different um, uh, numbers. And then the IT manager kind of creates a plan for uh, $10 million to fix this um, uh, relatively fast with um, 98% uh, accuracy, uh, right? And um, they send it to the business. And uh, the first thing that uh, uh, compliance people say is that, um, how are you going to ensure that uh, the number which has been converted is the correct conversion? Uh, how are you going to guarantee that, right? How are you going to do the recon between the two? Um, well, uh, okay, sure, we'll get back to you. We'll, we'll think about it. Some more thinking happens, some more uh, analysis happens. Then the business asks them, uh, you know what, uh, we will, uh, I have another option. Let me explore that option. And the IT is sitting and wondering what is happening. What the uh, CEO did, um, got hold of five or six temps, I think 10 uh, or some round number of temps, um, gave them the whole thing, said, fix these numbers manually. And wherever you are confused, drop an email to the customer, ask them what is the correct one. And within two, three weeks had the whole thing cleaned up and it costed them 300K or something like that, right? Um, and, and that was a big lesson for me to watch this whole thing unfold. Um, I was not involved uh, you know, uh, in the whole um, uh, analysis, all those parts, but uh, I, I was a witness to this, right? And uh, from then onwards, I started seeing business problems in a totally different light, right? Business problems are, we want to do this. We want to make this happen. Now, can you go and make this happen, right? The ask is never that, um, can you create something which is scalable, reliable, compliant, um, best architecture, good technology, um, interesting work. Uh, they, they don't care about it in the sense that it's not part of the requirement. Right at an organizational level, people do care about these. Different people do care about it, but business is like, I have this problem solved it for me, right? And but, the, <clears throat> but the issue is, Dinkar, in enterprises, what you just mentioned, the challenge would be is, let, we'll go back to your example. Yeah. In hindsight, the problem was there were like let's say a hundred thousand phone numbers to be fixed, and these hundred thousand numbers with ten temps each person can actually do 10,000 each in three weeks time, completely understandable. But if you go to the person who is, let's say procurement, hmm. who wants to purchase a solution, which will allow them, imagine that there is a uh, algorithm or a system which is developed by Acme Software Engineering. Yeah. And they say that I have this software which you can buy for $50,000. Yeah. And this $50,000 software you can buy and it will uh, go through, you input a phone number, it will output a consistent phone numbers format yeah. for your system. All you have to do is just buy the software license. You know, the procurement will run it through its paces and make it a uh, almost space shuttle kind of problem. 
they will set up criteria of scalability reliability support and all that thing and then by the time that whole software comes into the system it will be a 500k software no not to not, not to say that um, uh, it is that but you know about that the the the, the article and then it became a book the rise of bullshit jobs right right somewhere um, in this whole uh, ecosystem of uh, enterprise uh, knowingly unknowingly um, you know um, uh, because of uh, uh, um, because of uh, you know siloed thinking uh, you know of uh, teams reflecting the funding uh, this is my work i got funded for this this is my boundary i got funded by this the whole thing has become like that right and the reason um, uh, you know in let's say in this case all these things came from uh, because uh, when something comes into procurement they have their own checks uh, checklist right tuck, 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 tuck. and now they have this has become a totally different problem it had its own way tuck, tuck, tuck. it has become a totally different problem the problem statement is no longer that bunch of wrong numbers is there a quick solution otherwise i'll get temps and they'll fix it cheaper faster Agreed. but that problem statement is getting messed up at the moment it comes to it because they are seeing it as an it problem procurement is seeing it as a you know product you know a solution or a product qualification problem and the customer is like you know you don't have my phone. I get so many spams, but for this important thing, suddenly you're telling me you don't have my phone number, right? And that is the first uh, hurdle uh, for um, high-level requirement that is coming from a CXO to IT. That the first thing we do it is we do not we fail to understand why is business asking for this? What is the outcome they have in mind? And the ability to say, you know what, we can't do it. You know what? Let's buy a product. You know what? Hire temps to do it. Mm. Right? That, 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 that thing is uh, somewhere missing. But at so that what is time, the hurdle to worry at about. What time, at what layer do you feel that should be decided? Because my worry I, is... I'm a product that, manager, right? I'll say that uh, th there is a solution, a product manager who's responsible at some point, right? So for example, this is a four, four number, CRM. There is a product manager for CRM whose responsibility is to make CRM a useful uh, offering from the tech to business, right? Mm. That product manager probably is missing because today the product manager has become a part of, um, uh, you know, it, uh, you know, nothing against like uh, you know the scrums and all those kind of things. But the product manager has now become part of the delivery team who has a set of tasks. It has become a task-oriented job. You do this, you do this, you do this. You but uh, Dinkar, that, that there, there I also have a pet peeve. Uh, during my career, I have seen that a lot of developers who yeah. were good individual contributors and who were even decent programmers, they became this software architect persona. Hmm. When that happened, people actually who are software software architect who have learned architecture differently hmm. then i i am only able to code well hmm. there are certain principles of like building systems understanding systems hmm. understanding non functional requirements ability to un, uh, translate business problem and build only so much strength into the application 
for cost purposes make the right compromises sometimes on the scale side sometimes on the development side sometimes on the cost side sometimes on the framework side those compromises require experience require tools require ability to comprehend that thing and when a developer becomes a software architect without this knowledge yeah i have seen that they struggle a lot they make bad decisions many times they choose technical stack which is fancy rather than something which is needed by the business right. and all sorts of problem happen sometimes this gripe can be taken at a later stage yes yes but um the same problem is with the scrums and promas not all earlier not all software architects were truly architects similarly not all uh, program managers or product managers or product owners there is not much differentiation yeah people use these terms interchangeably the this and that's why i was very much interested is that how uh, roma should even like take this certain feature request if you were managing that crm so i would have first yeah let's go through that journey right, right. let's do the thought experiment so um, you know uh, this um, cxo comes in and says we have a problem how do we solve it right um, so probably the first question is like uh, yeah why uh, hmm. if there is a problem so what uh, world is full of problems and we cannot solve all the problems we need to focus on right why what's happening okay this is something very super urgent and all that okay uh, sounds fair who will use it right okay you know what the ops people will use it to make the uh, phone calls right what is stopping them from using it now uh, the numbers come in different formats so we cannot run automation caller scripts we we are not sure because these are sensitive calls we are not sure if i am typing right again we are a global organization mm. right we we assume like i'm sitting in india i know plus 91 is india's isd right rest of the world does not they don't care i know that cell if i look at a cell phone number and i look at a landline number we know 080 this is bangalore 9 something 6 something sir this is a cell phone we just know it right not everyone knows it they don't know if this is going to be a cell phone is it a, is it a landline number right all these information they don't know right a person whose job is to quickly make these calls get some consent share some information should be spending time thinking hey, what is this is it plus here is it minus here and a lot of places i have seen plus 91 and then the braces there will be a zero because that means while in the country if you are doing long distance you have to put so many combos right so you know want to so what is the problem because when they are making the call we don't want them to focus on phone numbers we want them to have the surety the guarantee that the phone number is right they reaching the right person right okay so what how many phone numbers are there see you uh, when i was describing this problem sachin i made up i was very careful i did not say how many phone numbers were there right you also made an assumption right it's first thing like how many such numbers are there if there were let's say 50 and the answer came 50 right then what would my solution would have been totally different right so is like how many what is the what is the scope of this whole business problem right it's affecting 100 numbers it's affecting 10000 1 lakh 10 lakh 1 million I, we don't know that right so the first thing is to first thing is um there is a reason why business is asking you know there is there is this um, uh, 
there's this implicit mindset. People um, don't always realize it, but everyone thinks that uh, their school of thought is smarter than the other school of thought, right? Because I'm belonging. And so business thinks business is more smarter than tech when it comes to business stuff. Tech feels they are more smarter to business when it comes to tech stuff. Um, so if I make a tech decision, you don't get it. You won't get it. You won't understand it, right? Business is like, you know what? I know what I'm thinking. I'll just give you the requirement. You won't understand it, you won't understand, right? So the product managers are the people who break these walls, who break these silos, right? The first thing to do is to understand what, what is it you're trying to do? What is stopping you from doing it? What is the scope of the problem that is getting created? All these basic questions, right? And then you sit back and say, okay, now what are the options I have? If I'm a product manager and I'm part of the IT thing, I have only one hammer, which is coding, right? Make a technical solution, right? But if I'm a product manager who is aware of other things in the organization, I may oh. be part of the tech thing. I so know there is operations. I know there is a organization that get there. If I'm not aware of those things or or I don't have access to those things, I'll think only in one way. Sorry, you were saying something. Yeah, apologies to break. But um, I, I just wanted to say, so you are saying all the people who are at least aspiring to be product managers or um, uh, trying to be at that cusp of basically engineering and business when they want to do that essentially they need to be first problem solvers forget about what hammer they choose they to first use. need to be uh, listeners you know there is a gym in us planet fitness uh, their marketing uh, you know uh, uh, is based on no judgment zone right and that's a product manager you cannot enter a conversation judging someone judging the problem judging the person judging their sense of urgency the first thing is listen right it's very important understand what is happening why why this problem that's the first thing right? like basics that is the most basic the second thing is then solutioning right now don't use solution so the biggest uh, i'm a big fan you know i'm pushing everywhere that technologists should become a product manager designers should become product managers business everyone should become a product manager right and my pitch is that once you become a product manager, the first thing you do is that you lose that position of strength. You, if you're a, a, a technologist, you become a product manager, you become a product. The first thing you use, you forget everything about technology that you have learned. Now you lose that uh, level, but what you have to do is to gain sufficient strength in other areas, right? So there, I can, if I was a developer and I have from a technical background and I'm part of the technical organization, not everything has to be solved by IT. Absolutely. And I think solutioning uh, has to be a little broader. Yeah. I think that's that's the key takeaway, right? Is like A, you need to be able to actively listen, understand what the whole all the parameters of your problem are by listening intently. And the second thing is apply problem solving techniques before even you reach a solution. And then comes the solution, what hammer you want to choose, whether it is coding, whether it is hiring temps, or whether it is even get a like, software which is readily available. Because uh, the uh, for the right size of the problem, you need to uh, find the right size of the solution. And but, there's uh, such a, sorry, one thing I want to call out is, um, again, we were discussing scientific uh, process last time, right? Um, th this first solution that you do, right? Always, 
be very clear in your mind. This is my initial hypothesis. This will get tested. I will go with this initial hypothesis back to business. I'll go to the tech uh, team. I'll go to the business team. I'll go to the compliance team. They will so be ready for this initial hypothesis to massively modify or even totally change. But you have mm -hmm. to go with some initial hypothesis. That is very critical. And and uh, uh, just one more thing about the tools you have, right? Um, and uh, if you're a product manager, you need to be aware of all the departments getting affected. Ops, production support, uh, you know, uh, client, customer support. Um, if you have any other team which are involved that even get affected by a product 1%, you need to be aware of that team, what their capabilities are, what they can offer to your product and incorporate all those things into your solution, at least the initial one. And subsequently, it will keep on, you know, pivots um, will happen. That's okay, but you need to have that. So instead of saying a solution, because a lot of people might come back and beat me and say, why did you start with the solution? This is the initial hypothesis. Agreed. So um, this is when you don't even know what the solution is. Bingo. Yes. But then when you have told by business, this is like ready. I mean, like tomorrow a developer can start working on this. I, I mean, like you are a Proma, I'm a business. I say, Dinkar, you don't even need to analyze this. This is done. It's like there is, we need a button. That's it. Yeah. And there, there again, you know, um, two, two, three things needs to happen, right? Uh, so first is active listening. You, you're listening very carefully. Uh, why do you think just a but button is uh, enough, right? For example, hey, um, let's think up of a scenario why business would make such a demand, for example, right? Uh, let, let's say people are saying, hey, we, someone has made this order and uh, they're about to execute this order. But you know what? Um, uh, people who purchase this are very social. So can we add a button where they can share the order? It's a button, social sharing, just click a button and they share it everywhere, uh, right? And that's a business ask. It's just a button, right? So you understand what they're thinking. What they're thinking is in terms of business atomicity, right? That as a business uh, steps, this is a step that I buy something and then I share that I bought this. The, the business atomicity does not always translate into a solution atomicity, a co, you know, product atomicity, all those kind of things, right? Um, I think somewhere everyone understands it. And this is where the conversations become very important. You say, Hey, uh, business, yes, you're saying add a button. I get add a button. Um, that means it is going to hold a lot of these complexities. Let me come back to you with an initial uh, analysis, right? And your initial hypothesis will say it will be some button which will say yes. And either we will go to a partner to whom we will package this information and the partner product will go and do all the sharing or we will do all the sharing. That means uh, we will have to update our uh, client information where we will want them to know, do you have Twitter? Do you have LinkedIn? Do you have Facebook? So we, that means we'll have to change the user's profile. That means we'll have to encourage users to go and change their profile, right? Or we will have this, which will just invoke some URLs and we will leave up to the good um, integration APIs of these social platforms to give us that button where now, the integration into the social is on the client. It's on my computer. So if I click on tweet this button, my Mac OS doesn't knows about my Twitter account. So it opens up very nicely and I click. 
if my Mac does not know about my Twitter account, then I will have to log in. So there are so many opposites. Suddenly you're going back to the business. Yes, it's a button. Look at the four options we have. Or our team will do everything. For this one, we will have to go and update CRM. We'll have to go through the cycle. So suddenly now the business realizes that with the very basic conversation of initial hypothesis, there is not a low hanging fruit. Uh, there's nothing like a low hanging fruit. There's nothing like just add a button. They are, they are thinking now, they will say, you know what, this additional product will, you know, will cost us money, right? You know, asking people for more will may, people may not like it. Why do you want to know my information? You know what, just add this click and we will leave up to the client. Now, now, now they have kind of come back and improved upon their ask, right? So this part, such in listening and initial hypothesis, this cycle between the business and the product manager is missing, um, is often a, a very slow process. Um, there was an ask, let's arrange a meeting, next month's meeting, then there's a next month meeting, then, you know, just do it. I don't have the time. I have told you what the problem is. Hmm. Too busy for it. Again, because the product manager is trying to explain things. It's not like, hey, do you like ABC? So asking questions to busy execs is also A, B, C. Cost, benefit, cost, benefit, B. Move on. What do you think about product functions which are sitting in silos compared to engineers? I mean, like, I know that I'm not sticking to the theme because many times such kind of curation happens outside engineering team. Yeah. And they what their job is that they wanted to just like do the analysis and they don't care who implements it. And that also changes their attitude towards it's actually not constrained environment. Right. It is very decompressed environment. And then what they want to do is they know that my, uh, food, uh, like, uh, I think, uh, a chain of food command, I think that is a wrong uh, metaphor here, but I think they know that they are serving to execs. And such an uh, actually uh, that is happening because of one simple fact, and this is my favorite uh, topic is uh, silos reflect the funding, mm. right? So what happens is uh, at the beginning of a year in an enterprise, um, you'll be asked how much budget you need. Right. And then you will do some book of work, some analysis, say, I want this much money. And then you get that money. Now you have committed broadly to some outcomes and you have got funded for it. Now your whole focus is submitting this right mm. now. Uh, funding means uh, there's a responsibility. I'm giving you some funding. That means you will take care of some set of people. You will uh, take care of some outcomes coming out of it. Right. So suddenly departments arise. Right. So mm -hmm. funding will go to an IT department. Will we go to an ops department? Will go yeah. to a production support, right? Yeah. So now why? Because uh, developers IT is a different department. So there is a head of IT because that's a designation. So now this has become, so immediately this has become a bubble. Production support has become a bubble. Ops, you don't need techies for ops. You need people who are very business savvy, can pick up, uh, you know, uh, tech, very easily can handle clients, uh, right? Are very bal emotionally high uh, EQ. This is ops, different set of people, different set of 
capabilities, different set of art, this is another bubble. So immediately you have created a bubble. Now, if you look at IT, right? Typically now what is happening in IT is, um, and this is across banks and, uh, uh, you know, large, um, you know, non-digital natives. So in an IT department, uh, there is going to be um, engineers is a group, um, you know, program and project management is a group, product management is a group, uh, because, you know, this is reflecting again, people management, because at the end of the day, here I will look at their performance, I will draw a normal curve, I will do curve fitting, some people will be here, some people will be here, most of the people, and that's how the salary will come, review and all that. So then your all your product managers has a product head, um, who's a people manager, uh, you need those, that's the, how the funding is coming next year's uh, salary will come like that. Now you have these silos, right? And when silo happens, some organization uh, do this by creating, uh, you know, virtual teams, they do by dotted lines. Now for this outcome or this product, people are coming from here, 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 they're getting together as a coherent team. So I have a work boss, I have a people management boss, and we are executing something. But these silos, and that is quite rare and quite some mature organizations are doing it uh, very, uh, uh, they, they're getting better at it. Some of hmm. the organization we also work for, slowly they're getting really good at it. Uh, but that, you know, but, but those silos are reality everywhere, right? And uh, the silos happen because of how funding happens. Now, you cannot change funding. You and I don't have power to change funding of how enterprises are happening. I don't think people who do funding are watching this video and I don't think they're going to change stuff. I don't know how to fix this, but the silos are a big problem. They are undermining the value of IT. They are leading to rise of bullshit jobs. They are leading to unnecessary um, meetings. They are leading to unnecessary red, amber, green kind of, uh, they, they, smartest people are ending up doing the least um, outcome related job, but they have to because that's how the system is set up. And like Agile changed how organizations did uh, development of product, we need um, one of our friends, um, he, he's trying to do this, you know, the uh, Agile uh, IT, uh, Agile technology organization, he's thinking and working on this. But we need to change how this and for that funding need the funding model needs to basically change digression on the funding model, but yes, you're right, the silos exist. And a lot of problems happen because of these silos because one silo it, it's like now these are two microservices or these are two, you know, uh, rest APIs. there's a very clearly defined interface between the two, the data has to flow in this way, the data will have this kind of format it's so cleanly defined these two cannot come together. They cannot just access each other's uh, private data. They have to go and access each other's public data. Um, while in modular programming and microservices programming, all this makes sense. But when it comes to people, it's creating these silos and pain. Absolutely. And I think uh, that pain like brings to a third point is there are often um, organizations uh, are into a phase where they are they have launched a product and they are just trying to get customer traction. And mm -hmm. when that happens, 
some exec has read some first version of email from Jeff Bezos to Amazon saying, I want you to just satisfy our customers. That's our motto. And they have adopted Jeff Bezos' vision of Amazon into their organization, right? And suddenly they start treating customers' pain as their son's pain. Mm -hmm. And then they start prioritizing everything out of proportion. And essentially, the whole rationality goes out of the window. Yeah. And that actually, that that opportunity sometimes is also you, you weaponized, almost weaponized. And I'm using this phrase very carefully is because what they do is that many execs, many business owners, many, uh, let's say, business analysts, they sometimes have these pet features they wanted to get out. As soon as the customer said it, it becomes the highest priority and it is a non-negotiable. I have, I have validation now. Yeah. Now it's non-negotiable, right? All I need is one person who wanted this. And yeah. suddenly this becomes like the highest priority thing. Yeah. So um, now in my mind, the situation is not far different from where we started with the telephone number validation. Yeah. Because ultimately you need to identify the impact radius of problem the probability of it happening and all that stuff, but I'll not go into detail, is how do you diffuse the situation if you want to do it so that the rationality comes back onto the table and you start talking about it like the telephone number problem. This is where uh, such an experimenting comes into picture, right? This is where uh, segmenting um, an audience to try and experiment comes into picture. And this is where, uh, you know, learning uh, all of us have opinions. We all of have gray hair, uh, not by standing in the sun, right? Yeah. Uh, we have our opinions and all, but ultimate validation comes from the market, right? Mm. So th- that's where experimenting becomes uh, very important. And uh, that's where explaining the concept of experimenting becomes very important. The problem with experiment is, and you know, you and me have both been in a conversation where even today, um, some execs uh, think that agile is only good for experimenting and you know fun stuff on the side, but not really for um, enterprise class, world class, long term software building. Right? Though that 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 thought process is even now. Um, so somewhere uh, this communication to these CXOs. Who, who are not uh, like uh, jokers or idiots, right? They, they're making these statements because of some real experience, some understanding, right? So explaining things to them, educating things to them becomes very important. So maybe it's implicit in the word um, experiment that it lends a thought process that, hey, this is casual, this is experiment on the side, doesn't have a serious bearing. Maybe a change of terminology is needed when talking to the CXOs. And the best thing is, you know what? Let's let's try this uh, Bsauce's experiment. So mm-hmm. for this small uh, set of customers, right? We will push every release to them. We will push everything to them that they keep asking for, right? And there is this whole uh, other segment. If and then we can start uh, expanding on it. One digression, uh, you know. Um, uh, the but the other gripe I have against this, you know, customer centricity is that nowadays it is coming at the cost of employee centricity, and that is why software that employees use in the organization is 
most non-intuitive, is the most um, intensive, like, you know, uh, what is that called? Carpus, you know, uh, repetitive mm. stress injury, like click here, click here, click here, click here, right? Most uh, uh, boring work uh, interfaces, more most inefficient way of doing things. Uh, uh, so many times I've heard you say that, oh, you know what, their, their interface is Windows 98 <laughs> interface, right? And that's what is happening, right? That, that's a reality, right? So uh, somewhere uh, this customer centricity has, um, is not something, is, is good for a startup and there, uh, you know, this customer centricity is also hiding behind it a lot of other folk things they focus on. It's only that, you know, how do you differentiate between uh, prioritize between A and B local, but in enterprises where customer centricity again becomes that silo thing, becomes a weapon that is this helping customer? No, it is going to improve user experience for uh, one 10,000 of our employees and they will become more efficient. You know what? This small thing, because it improves the customer's expectation becomes prioritized, right? That, that's the weaponization. And somewhere, you know, uh, there is a flaw in um, product management uh, as a community, product managers, promas as a community also, right? Uh, all these blogs, all these sexy, uh, you know, founders, they uh, customer, customer, Jeff is a customer, customer. And, you know, it has become a group thing. It's like, if I say customer centricity, I can never be wrong. Who will mm. stop and say, there are not many dinkers around. I like, hello, sir, <laughs> dude, mm. uh, customer centricity is not the only thing. What about your employees? I mean, I had written a blog on it. There was an organization that um, suffered huge financial loss because their employee software was not that, um, uh, was not as excellent as their customer software. And it allowed for a mistake that led to a massive financial loss, right? In the end, you can blame the person. You can blame the, you, uh, you know, employee who did that, but you know, was employee for blame? No, it was the lack of focus on putting all the checks and balancing that you put on customer, right? In customer, I type, I put a space in my phone number, it rejects, it does not allow me, you know, it quickly pops up, but in your, yeah. why you all kind of missed it because somehow quote unquote, by some training, employees will but become Dinkar, all humans and they'll never make a mistake. Dinkar, there is That brings a very important point. I do not feel that such softwares are designed um, um, and uh, the only driving factor there is that the companies were not attentive enough. I'll give you a flip side of uh, the whole uh, argument. The, the, the product building company? No, I mean, like my, in my experience, many times they, they have to, a company has to identify a product owner yeah. or a business owner. And typically the business owner is a simple plain let's say a trading manager yeah. or a trader, yeah. they understand domain. Yes. They don't understand systems yeah. and they say, they don't understand are, requirements. <laughs> yeah. You are going to work with a product owner yeah. and the product owner will actually take instructions from you. Yeah. It is like Sachin actually giving instructions to uh, a construction contractor about how my house should be built. You need an architect in between who translates that requirement into a design. Into a vision. Keeps monitoring, are you Correct. building to that vision or not? And I think that's where the companies fail to understand that a person who understands how, what they want from this system may not be adequately 
equipped with the experience and knowledge required to actually yeah. instruct another team to build a system sajan i was working with a client a little bit of you know i felt very good that day i was working with a client they did not have a position of a product manager a very traditional it organization they had project managers all this uh, um, iteration they didn't have a product manager and uh, i was working with them i i started playing that role and they start, saw the value of it and one of the developers i love it when developers become product managers i because mm. to me that uh, reflects the richness of um, this role becoming evident to the non obvious crowd right so there was a very senior developer and said that i want to become a product manager uh, within their hr hr had no clue what does this mean and all that so he um, to his manager he said i want to do what dinkar is doing mm. and everyone got it immediately because the title didn't mean anything the write up didn't mean anything but the evidence of the work that a product manager does was something they had experienced so they got it right mm. and uh, then over a period of time i'm seeing in that organization uh, many people are doing product management courses they're sharing it on linkedin so i'm i'm happy that you know that thought process seeped in it also seeped in because um, of a lot of um, positive um, you know um, positivity that the leadership gave to those people hey okay you know we should change this we should introduce this at least within their domain right but that architect right um, you know if someone you know if, if you if you believe that your home is i'll make a uh, you know i'll i'll put a, a foundation and then there'll be four pillars we'll put a plinth and brick walls there is cement there is door and all that then you don't no need the architect right you will talk to that but the moment you are thinking that tomorrow i may add one more floor when my kids grow up or something like that or you are worried you know i live in an area where there is a earthquake happening or uh, you know what there is this i keep on hearing there is this regulation you have to do rain water harvest when things start expanding as a problem then you start looking for an architect right and that change um, is very uh, critical um, uh in uh, growing enterprises i think and in large enterprises right it's like people don't build those large buildings they inherit these large buildings right mm. and then they are in the maintenance right what extra to do okay let me do a better parking let me on the top let me put a shed and create a cafeteria that that that's what they're doing right but that's not the value add and at some point enterprises could get away with it but the world has changed that tall building is now being threatened by someone sitting at home on their desk working from home right now they have to rethink a lot of things right and uh, as workforce starts going back to offices the old style of office uh, constructions uh, the you know the the uh, the value add that a office brought that's also changing so much right so yeah so coming back yes an architect is really needed yeah absolutely i mean i think um, that's where uh, it is very important that all all these roles start playing to their strengths and uh, many times in enterprises these roles as you mentioned right is these are uh, blurred lines these are not well defined roles and people start doing each other's responsibilities without even knowing that 
they have the skills uh, and tools and mandate to do it or not. The project think, manager is the program manager, project manager, product manager, and yes. the facilities manager. I don't know what all. Yeah. That person, poor guy is running all around. You expect that person to sit and do strategic thinking. And and many times these people wake up and then they are facing a challenge. And what they focus on is something which is tactically important to them, which is, let's say, four people have applied to leave. And now this is Thanksgiving week. I need to actually figure out how am I going to get this released to the production. Yeah, yeah. And they, they don't worry at that time about, oh, let me take this big fight about why this feature should not be actually part of the scope. <laughs> because my energy is to actually get whatever is the current thing. As a good product manager, you should be saying a lot of no to features. Yeah. So uh, I think that is where um, I find this extremely challenging profile in my mind is uh, there is a lot of subjectivity into it. There is a lot of uh, decision making into it. And there is a lot of um, making the rules on the go type of thing. You cannot actually carry a handbook which says that, hey, I'm going to do this. And uh, in, in my uh, own uh, interpretation, these are typically uh, the CEOs of the product, a pro product manager, because when they start thinking of, of like this without much authority, like CEO without much. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm saying is uh, if you ask for a CEO's job, what, what they will define is that my job is to make this company successful. Yeah. Whatever it takes. I don't know. Sometimes I might be focusing on only recruiting best people. Sometimes I might be recruit, focusing on only getting new customers. And sometimes I will be focusing on only optimizing my cost uh, structure. So a CEO never defines their job. It's like ultimate authority and ultimate responsibility and accountability of that entire company. Similarly, I think the promas need to start thinking of their role as ultimately the this product needs to be successful. And what do I need to do to make it even happen or go towards that direction? I think that would be, obviously, as you mentioned, there may not be all the authorities and powers which will actually come with it, but at least the thought process can be developed around that. Right. Uh, the, so, um, that, and, uh, and that is why this, um, uh, you know, uh, it, it becomes important to start thinking in terms of, uh, 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 outcomes rather than tasks, mm. right? Um, the For a lot of people, clarity of um, role becomes evident when you know what is it they're doing, mm. right? So why? So I can measure them on their things. So I know are they doing a good job or not, right? It's like, it, it's still those manufacturing heritage, how are doing things, how are doing things, how are doing things, how are doing things, right? On the flip side, uh, the role of a CEO and of a product manager is what is it? The, what is the outcome? What is the outcome? That is the focus. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I think uh, I, I think this is a good place to stop today. Uh, and Dinkar, uh, this was a really good uh, discussion about when I said that I wanted to understand the feature journey. This seems like a good place. So. Uh, I think next time what we want to talk about is uh, another thread from our product uh, management discussion is um, about what would you advise and how we will uh, say to aspiring product managers to think about what they need to hone the craft. I think some of the angles which we talked about today and some we need to talk about later.
So, yeah. I mean, I think uh, uh, the uh, focus on outcomes, uh, behaviors to adopt, um, scenarios to expect, these are very important for a product manager to understand. And not the product owner, like in the agile sense, the person who's responsible. That, that's also an important job. It, I hope it doesn't come across that we are not valuing that. Just saying these are two different responsibilities. Absolutely. Uh, both have their uh, own uh, spaces. And uh, one of the things we hint, uh, talked a bit, maybe we should double click uh, in next conversation is how corporates can do experiments, um, how they can learn from it and the, the other buzzword fail fast, how they can uh, adopt that. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. And maybe we can take what product managers do um, in the reverse uh, order is like, talk about these features. Today, we talked about scoping. Right. Maybe uh, next time what we can talk about is how they can uh, quickly run experiments and make sure that these are successful or not. Now, you might not call yourself product manager, but if you start doing these things, probably you are doing the job of a product manager. Yeah. So probably that's the right way to do, go about it as well. Exactly. Cool. Uh, th this, was, uh, this was a good conversation, uh, Sachin. Uh, I, I, I hope uh, it looks, it feels that I talk more than you. So, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like this was your expertise. So, but yeah, I, I think uh, it helps sometimes to, um, I think you, you told today, right? Listen. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Next time. Bye. Bye.